You're listening to Why Would Anyone. This is a space where I try to figure out why we do the things we do and how intrinsic motivation shows up in different parts of our lives. My name is Tanya Rabesson-Hadana, and today my guest is psychological safety mega expert Amy Edmondson. Amy Edmondson is Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School and the authority on psychological safety. She is the author of several books, including The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation and Growth. In this conversation, she gives us precious insights on how to create teams where we can feel safe and take risks. This is not only for bosses, it's about all of us showing leadership at work and beyond. Ding, 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 ding. For people who haven't heard about psychological safety, how do you define it? I define it as perception that candor is welcome. It more And more formally, I say it's a, it's a belief that one can take the interpersonal risks of speaking up with questions, concerns, mistakes, or dissenting views. Okay. And how do you define that risk? An interpersonally risky behavior would be anything where in some circumstances you might pause and hold back out of concern what others might think of you, right? So, you know, ooh, if I, ask for, if I ask for help, they'll think I'm incompetent. Or if I ask a question, they'll think I'm ignorant, right? And, and so if any of those thoughts are going through your head, you're not in a psychologically safe environment and you're hoping or wanting or at least considering engaging in interpersonal risk. Your research focuses on psychological safety in the workplace. Does that concept also apply to other contexts like the classroom or a family or sports team? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I have done, I did um, one paper with my wonderful colleague, Monica Higgins, who's a professor at the Ed School, and we looked at psychological safety, you know, what we know from data that have been collected in healthcare compared to education, right? And, and there's lots of similarities. You've got classrooms, you've got classrooms that are nested in schools and hospitals, you have units that are nested in hospitals, and you've got, you know, people in positions of authority and learning is supposed to be happening and, and you know, Error is a big source of learning in both in both settings. So there's lots of parallels. And, and certainly, I think for, for people in their lives, in their friendship groups, in their families, that sense that one can be oneself, right? That I can speak up, that I can ask for help, that I can disagree with my dad. Um, I think, you know, mo- most families, not all, but most families have a reasonable degree of psychological safety. That's the place where... For better or for worse, you are yourself, <laughs> but um, uh, it's not—it's not necessarily the true, the, the same for for many friend groups. Okay, so throughout the rest of the conversation, uh, anybody listening to this can swap leader for parent, teacher, or according to whatever it resonates within their lives. Um, is there a clear, obvious sign of psychological safety or um, or the opposite in an environment? For example, if I'm applying for a job or I'm choosing a hospital where I want to give birth or anything, is there one thing that you'd recommend we look out for? That's a great question. So if you're not doing a survey, which most of the time we're not, uh, <laughs> to, to find that out, what I look for is a kind of a healthy mix of agreeing and disagreeing, a healthy mix of sort of statements and questions. 
of, of um, you know, all's well versus asking for help. And so if you, if you are, you know, if you're in a setting, there should be a kind of a lively, a lively buzz of people engaging with each other rather than a kind of tiptoeing and politeness of waiting and seeing, you know, and maybe waiting and seeing what, what the boss says or what the authority says. When I read your book, I was thinking about um, that person. So often we don't want to be that person, that teammate who's going to criticize the boss's idea, that mom who's going to ask a sensitive question at the parent-teacher's meeting. Um, you say that the ability to speak up is not about being confident or, or courageous as an individual, but that it's a team feature. But not everyone perceives risk in the same way. True. Right. So if there's a team full of assertive people who are comfortable speaking up, um, does that mean there is no risk in that context? So there, there are individual differences. You know, some people are simply more out there than others, more, more, more willing to speak up in any setting than others. And at the same time, there is a kind of emergent property of any group where, where it, um, a set of shared expectations will take shape, you know, re reasonably quickly. So when, when we've measured psychological safety across groups, in the same organizations, what we find is there are individual differences, but the group level differences are stronger than the individual difference. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, in every group or in many groups, that person, right? That person who seems almost a little tone deaf to the way things are around here. And I probably should say also that the courage And psychological safety can be thought of as two sides of the same coin. It, it's even when you know, even when you're in a reasonably psychologically safe environment, some of the things you want to say might still feel difficult. Right? They might feel controversial. They might feel uh, embarrassing. So you'll find yourself still having to kind of screw up your courage and 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 trying to thoughtfully say it in, in just the right way so that you'll be understood, so that you'll make, have the difference, make the difference you're trying to make. Right, so we'll still feel the risk. We'll still feel a little bit of risk, just less. It won't feel impossible. It'll just feel, okay, I hope I can get this right. But this seems to be the kind of place where I'm expected to contribute and and. Others are expected to contribute. We're all expected to contribute. Now, let's now go to the sort of the extreme case where you're in a group, maybe a group of parents, you know, maybe a group at work where there's someone who is persistently taking up all of the airtime, right? And, and then I think psychological safety plays uh, another role, which is sort of giving others the permission to give that person the feedback that they need and deserve right? because they may be they're more likely than not. They're unaware of the fact that others are seeing them as less than helpful. And, and so that, you know, that's not really helping the group um, when there's someone who's just, you know, reasonably oblivious to the impact they may be having. So then the question becomes, do I feel safe enough to sort of, you know, offer them some, some gentle feedback. I think we've all been there <laughs> in that meeting room <laughs> with that person hard. who hogs the microphone. Ding, 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 ding. 
There, there seems to be many connections between psychological safety and intrinsic motivation. It seems like combining the two would help people in an organization express themselves and express their potential. I think that is such a good point. Honestly, I have a, I have a, a model in the book, which you will have seen, that has the vertical dimension is psychological safety. It's a two by two. The horizontal dimension is performance standards. You know, there's sort of a, a shared commitment to, to excellence around here, whether it's a school or a team at work or a family. And you could just as easily re- reproduce that model where the vertical axis is still psychological safety and the horizontal axis is intrinsic motivation. And it would make a lot of sense because you can, you can imagine an, an environment where you have neither psychological safety nor intrinsic motivation and you're going to experience apathy there, right? You just don't care enough to take interpersonal risks, let alone to try very hard at whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. But if you imagine, you know, really that psychological safety needs, it, it needs to have, it needs to be coupled with intrinsic motivation for you to be willing, not only to take the interpersonal risks of learning, but to just keep driving, you know, to keep pushing yourself to do better, to keep pushing your team members to do better. I mean, that's, I sometimes call that the learning zone, and, and it's also the high performance zone. It's, it's where, you know, it's where you're not only able to take interpersonal risks, but you're willing to take them. Mm. So you see um, psychological safety as a precondition where intrinsic motivation could flourish or? I actually see them as partners, you know, as, as two equal partners that both should be present for excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to do hard things, you're trying to solve hard problems, or you're trying to learn calculus or raise children, like hard things. I think you both need to give yourself and your colleagues and friends permission to try things, to be themselves, to lean in. But you also have to be motivated to accomplish these hard things. Um, in your book, the Fearless Organization, you list practices that team leaders can adopt to help create or restore psychological safety. Um, I'm going to summarize them really briefly, um, the, just the headlines. So these are setting the stage, clarifying the nature of the work, framing failure in the right way, emphasizing the purpose of the organization. Secondly, inviting participation with a humble posture and processes. And thirdly, responding productively. Now, what can I do to create a psychologically safe environment if I'm not in a leading position? Uh, especially, what can I do as a team member if my boss is the source of the problem? Tanya, you might not like this answer, but I'm going to say exactly the same thing. That, in fact, none of those practices require you to be the boss. I do have to admit they might be more uh, powerful. Right? They might ha- they'll have a bigger effect. If you're the boss and you say, wow... I've never done anything like this before. I need your help. It's a very powerful statement. But if you're um, not the boss and you say, has anyone ever done anything like this before? Or I've never done anything like this before. Or you say something like, this seems to me pretty new territory. We're going to need to try all sorts of things, right? That's a helpful statement. It's a true statement. And you're creating permission for others to kind of offer their wild ideas simply by stating fact, right? Simply by describing the, the situation as the kind of situation that benefits from others' voice. 
So you're being, you're showing, I guess it's, it's fair to say you're showing leadership rather than being the leader. In the book, you write uh, that perhaps the best way to experience psychological safety is to act as if you have it already. I wonder if that's like something like fake it till you make it. It is a kind of fake it till you make it because sometimes we all just need to jump in, even though we're scared or even though we're you know a little bit anxious, we're not quite sure. I don't know how this will be received, but I'm going to try it. And lo and behold, nothing bad happens. Right? So I'm going to try it again. If you do a psychological safety intervention, how quickly can you expect things to change? Are we talking about a month, six months? I don't know. I really don't know the answer. I mean, on there is one amazing study done out of INSEAD and um, University of Munich where they um, asked managers, you know, randomly assigned some managers to the treatment condition and others to the control condition. And the treatment condition asked managers simply to have one-on-ones with their with their direct reports and really just talk through what their current priorities were, um, you know, what things maybe they could leave off that, that weren't as important, you know, just have a basic conversation of, about the work, coach them, listen to them, half hour conversations. And they showed that that had a statistically significant increase in psychological safety. Um, right away, you know, a, a, a month later, just having those honest conversations about the work helped people feel it was more possible to have honest conversations, right? So it's it pretty quick, you know. In in a yeah, way, what's reassuring about this, and we're not talking about doing big changes or inc- introducing no. very different processes, right? Mm. Right. I mean, it can be pretty small. It can be um, one, one company I worked with uh, instituted a practice of just um, either one-on-ones or small teams, two questions. What are you most excited about? What are you anxious about? In that order. Right? And then that just starts a more honest conversation. And notice that the first question is sort of, a little more easy or, or more socially acceptable to like, oh, I'm really excited about this new project or the customers or what have you. And then ooh, what are you anxious about? Mm, you know, now that you think about it, this and that. And you're just trying to normalize honesty, candor. Like the purpose of psychological safety is not just to have psychological safety. It's to do better work. Um, it's to learn and grow and innovate. And so Helping people adopt the discipline of reflection in an ongoing way is 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 the essence of an intervention that that I would design. What does it take for a company or a team to realize they have a problem with psychological safety? Because I'm I'm guessing if you have very low psychological safety, you're not really interested in changing in the first place. Right. Well, the problem might be that the people working for you are interested in changing, but you're not. And, and, and certainly um, there are many situations where the boss is a tyrant or a bully and it's really broken. And, and then there's two types of those situations, one in which they're unaware and one in which they actually think this is sort of how you get things done. And the one in which they're unaware is the one where there's more opportunity to intervene and make a difference, right? It's, it's, they're really just, 
there's just, um, they have blind spots, right? They're unaware that people are frightened of them and are holding back and not saying what they really think. And, and they're, I won't, maybe it's too strong to say they'd be horrified to know, but they'd be, they'd be, um, upset to know. Right. And, and then, you know, those are the people who just, they have bad habits, right? They, they have, um, have the habit of always speaking first or, or of disagreeing too quickly with a different view. And they're unaware that they have those habits um, and that they have, that they're exerting a silencing effect. You know, people who are really toxic managers and they do exist, you know, my preference is to free up their future. You know, my my preference is to for for organizations to figure out who they are and to you know either coach them and help them to change or or um, realize that they are not helping your cause and send them packing. Ding 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 ding. What about psychological safety in different cultural contexts? Is it harder to achieve psychological safety in some cultures than others? For example, if there's a, a tradition of strict hierarchy or personal sacrifice for the company? Yes. Um, there's no question that um, cultures with a lower power distance have a kind of a leg up because they fundamentally believe in candor, right? They, they in, 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 like in the United States or in the Netherlands, um, there's a shared value that, yes, of course you would share your view. You should speak up, right? That's what people do around here. Now it's not, it's, more often than not, not really true in practice. You know, people are holding back and, 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 and worrying about how do they look and so forth. But in other cultures, it's actually, there is a value on, oh, you're not supposed to speak up. You're supposed to wait for the boss. So it's harder, no question about it. But it's no less necessary and, and it can be done. Right? So it's, it's still a matter of of pausing to say, like, what, is, what are our goals here? What are we trying to get done? You know, if we're trying to innovate and come up with, you know, the, uh, the first hybrid vehicle and no one's ever done that before, that's going to require everybody's ideas and it's going to require us to try a lot of things that don't work. And, and so you sort of pause to realize why the work, why the goal needs us to act in this new way. Or if we want to have absolutely flawless quality, you know, in this hospital or in this assembly line, we're going to need people to speak up as soon as they suspect something might not be perfectly right. And so you explain why and you work at it and you practice it and then you realize, again, it can be done. I would like to understand if psychological safety is a state or a trait. So is it when you assess psychological safety, does that reflect just that moment in time or is it a stable characteristic of the team? Yeah, you know, I, it's um, that's a great question. I think um, it tends to be my my. I don't have a lot of longitudinal data, so uh, my sense of it is it can be it, it takes shape and then it stays stable unless we work at it or unless something you know it might be. Let's say we have middling psychological safety. Someone speaks up with an idea, they get shot down the psychological safety probably just dropped there and might stay low now until we roll up our sleeves and do something about it. So it's vulnerable to salient moments, you know, of, of, of either, you know, punishment or non-punishment, right? Punishment or reward for acts of candor, acts of courage. But 
I don't think it's, you know, wildly unstable. Like I come in today and it's this way and I come in tomorrow and it's some other way. It's more, you know, we, we, we establish groups tend to establish sort of ways of working and norms and, and shared expectations that are, that endure unless, right. That endure unless some event happens that reshape them. Mm, so stable, but needs, needs care. <laughs> yeah. Stable, but needs care and always needs that sort of um, stewardship uh, to, to keep it going. Mm. And what are the first barriers to psychological safety that you look out for when you do an intervention? You know, probably the, the most interesting barrier to me is mixed messages. You know, when, when managers are, you know, probably inadvertently saying things like, we've got to be innovative, but it's got to get done on time and be perfect. Right. And you know, that, that, that sort of mixed message leads people to be more attentive to the perfect side and less attentive to the innovative side, right? They'll, they'll always anchor on risk aversion. Bad is stronger than good. You know, we're, we're, we're more likely to uh, want to um, stay safe than to be bold, right? So if someone is saying be bold, but stay safe, we'll hear the stay safe part uh, and tiptoe. Right, because be bold sounds a bit fashionable. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, that's just a line, but they don't really mean it. They reveal their true colors when they say, you better hit your targets. So, you know, I'm, I'm often, um, I think there's a set of, it's like a mindset that comes with a, a set of taken for granted behaviors that come from the industrial era that truly get in the way of candor and creativity and, innovation and experimentation so when when people when it's when there's a very strong message of the way to get ahead around here is to make your targets that of course encourages people to to sandbag a little bit right to set low targets so that they definitely make them like they don't want to take the risk of i'm gonna i'm gonna be ambitious and set a high target an ambitious goal and we might not pull it off but that's too dangerous because of the implicit message around here. So I'll set a, I'll set a safe goal and then I know I can, I can hit the safe goal. You say that psychological safety is a team characteristic and not an organizational characteristic, but still, yet you talk about company yes. policies from a top-down perspective. So it's like there is corporate culture and there are differences in the psychological safety or the interpersonal climate across groups within a culture. Because it's so local, it's so palpable, right? It's it's sort of the way the way you and I interact um, is shaped by our corporate culture, but it's also idiosyncratic and 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 particular in this group. And that, that's a long-winded way of saying leaders in the middle matter a great deal, right? That sort of how your project manager shows up, or you know how your how your team leader shows up can just convey what's expected around here in pretty powerful ways. Is there anything you want to add that we haven't talked about? The one thing we haven't talked about, although we've talked about it in, indirectly, is is failure. And that's something that I'm going full on into right now, is sort of understanding failure and the different kinds of failure and why you need psychological safety to kind of grapple with failure and speak up about failure. But you also need other tools, you know, to, to 
engage in thoughtful experiments rather than doomed experiments. And so I think, you know, in, in the general area of intrinsic motivation, it'd be interesting to talk more about how important intrinsic motivation is to experimentation, like your willingness to try new things, your willingness to try things that, that might fail. And then also how motivated are you to learn from the failures so that you can you know, go forward better armed to, hmm. to succeed. Okay. So I mean, I'm expecting some papers on failure in the coming. Uh, Stay tuned. Month. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you to Amy Edmondson and to you for listening to our conversation. If you'd like to find out more about her work, go to her website, amycedmondson.com. This was the fourth episode of the Why Would Anyone podcast with me, Tanya Rabesandratana. For the complete show notes, go to my newsletter about intrinsic motivation, tanya.substack.com, and subscribe to get the next post straight into your inbox. That's tania.substack.com. Finally, I want to let you know I am the recipient of the Attuned Writer Fellowship. Attuned is a psychology and AI-powered platform that tracks and measures intrinsic motivation to boost employee engagement, drive performance, and make work more meaningful. Find out more and sign up for a free demo at attuned.ai. Thank you. Until soon.